0: My name is Anthony P. Richards. I'm a pastor and I started this podcast channel to equip, encourage, inspire, and challenge you to passionately live to your potential in Christ through the Word of God. For more information, you can go to my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards. Welcome to another day as we continue our journey through the Word of God. And today we're looking at Matthew chapter 19, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 to 6 today. Very interesting passage, and uh, this chapter has three uh, parts to it. Uh It's marriage, divorce, and then entering the kingdom of heaven, and the rich young ruler, and we're going to break it up into those three sections. And it's interesting that uh, there's a lot of context that needs to be set for this chapter, and so I'm going to give that to you, because there's a lot of things that if you don't know, then this chapter doesn't make some sense and it's hard to understand so hopefully that's one of the things that you enjoy in these videos so let's get into it here uh in verse 1 matthew 19 now it came to pass when he had finished jesus had finished these sayings all the things in matthew 18 that he departed from galilee and came to the region of judea beyond the jordan and great multitudes followed him and he healed them there Matthew, Mark and Lucas, uh, Luke <laughs> Luke, uh, focus on the Galilean ministry of Jesus and uh, they only emphasise his presence in Jerusalem right before his crucifixion and resurrection. But it would be a mistake for us to believe that this particular trip to Galilee uh, to the region of Judea, down to Jerusalem, was unusual. Uh, the Gospel of John tells us many previous visits that Jesus made from Judea to Jerusalem. That road would have been well travelled by Jesus. Now what happened as he's on the way down great multitudes followed him and he healed them we don't know what happened to them we don't know if they believed in him we don't know we don't know what their relationship was with him when he healed them but we do know that he healed them as he was journeying from Galilee down to the region of Judea to Jerusalem so we get to verse 3 the Pharisees also came to him, to Jesus, testing him and saying to him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? This continues the theme of the conflict of between Jesus and the religious leaders of the day. Previously in Matthew they had questioned Jesus um, as he did his work in Galilee. Now he's in Judea. They're going to question him again. And their questions were not honest questions. They were designed to trap him, to test him. Uh, they wanted to, to try and you know, get him to stumble. Now, to show how they tried to trap him, we need to set some context. So I'm going to give you a lot of context in these next couple of verses. He says, they said, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Why do they even want to talk about divorce? Divorce was a very controversial topic in Jesus' day. There were two main schools of thought. But among both schools of thought, marriage was a sacred duty. If a man was married, uh, or if he was unmarried at the age of 20, and it was for any other reason apart from concentrating on studying the law, then he was guilty of actually breaking God's command to be fruitful and multiply. According to Barclay they said that by not having children he had killed his own descendants and had lessened the glory of God on earth. So in theory the Jewish people had a very high ideal of marriage but they had a low view of women. Women could be bought, they were regarded as property, they were dismissed at pleasure. Uh and and it it's sad really the the low view that you know men had of women in, and society had of women and i think today uh you know we have a lot of men who have a low view of women i also think there's a lot of women who have a low view of women why because they 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 think that the, that what they have as a value as a woman is uh something to be sacrificed to be like a man and there is a wonderful distinction of who a woman is in in God. And I think that we need to make sure that we continue to have a high view of women. Um, so many women reject the idea that women should be different from men in any way. No, we're not different. Yes, you are. I'm a man, okay? I'm not a woman. And there is a complementary opportunity that we have to coexist without either one of us trying to be like the other. Now, in the Jewish culture, the low view of women meant that their high ideal of marriage was often compromised. So what they did is they made those compromises into law. So you know, a man could divorce his wife if she spoiled his dinner, uh, if she if she went out with her hair not bound up. Uh, If she spoke to a man in the streets, if she spoke disrespectfully of his parents in his presence, or if she was a voice, if she had a voice that could be heard in the next house, he could divorce her. Uh, If he found a woman whom he liked better and considered more beautiful than his wife, he could divorce his wife. So this, just just to give you a bit of an idea, a very controversial topic. The Pharisees are trying to trap Jesus. Maybe they want to trap him, you know, in the same way that, uh, John the Baptist got trapped in the Herod Herodias affair, uh, which ended up with John, John the Baptist's head on a platter. Um, because, you know, he said, no, that's not right for you to marry your brother's wife. Uh, so, then they go on and say, is it lawful for just any reason? Okay. These words are actually the center of the debate. For just any reason. Because, Jewish rabbis understood that the Old Testament did give permission for divorce in Deuteronomy 24. When a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some uncleanness in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand, and sends her out of his house. So, each one of the two schools of thoughts in Jewish culture believed and understood Deuteronomy 24 Verse 1, the problem was they had different definitions of the word uncleanness. Some understood uncleanness to mean sexual immorality only. And they said that was the only valid reason to, for divorce. Others said uncleanness meant any kind of indiscretion. Uh, rabbis of the day, certain rabbis with the school, different schools of thoughts, uh, had many sayings about bad marriages and about bad wives. They said that a a man with a bad wife would never face hell because he had paid for his sins on this earth. They said that the man who is ruled by his wife has a life that is not life. They said that a bad wife is like leprosy to her husband and the only way he could be cured was by divorce. They even said that if a man has a bad wife, it's a religious duty to divorce her. So this is the context of why they were testing him. In their question, the Pharisees tried to get Jesus to side with one or the other. Which is it? Is it sexual immorality or is it all these other things? Now they knew that if he, if he agreed with the side that said it's all these other things, then it was clear that he did not take the law of Moses seriously. If he agreed with the school of thought that it was sexual immorality only, that that would be very unpopular with the multitudes. And there were a lot of Jewish people who wanted easy access to divorce. So the religious leaders thought they caught Jesus in a conundrum. They caught him in between a rock and a hard place where if he stands up for the, for, for the truth of, of the law of Moses and the interpretation, the most strict interpretation of that, he'll be Unpopular. And if he goes the other way, then he didn't have any respect for the law of Moses. So they weren't being honest in their question. Verse 4. And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Pharisees wanted to talk about divorce, rabbinical opinions. Jesus wanted to go back to scripture and talk about marriage. Jesus began with the first marriage, the one between Adam and Eve. And this emphasis on the scriptures and on marriage rather than divorce is actually a very wise approach for anyone interested in keeping a marriage together. Concentrate on what marriage is, not whether divorce is permissible. Doesn't always end uh, in, in no divorce taking place. But focusing on marriage is what Jesus wants us to do. Spurgeon, our Lord honours Holy Scripture by drawing his argument therefrom. He chose specially to set his seal upon a part of the story of creation. Adam Clarke, by answering the question not from rabbis but from Moses, our blessed Lord defeated their malice and confounded their devices. William Barclay, in the case of Adam and Eve, divorce was not only inadvisable, it was not only wrong, it was completely impossible. For the very simple reason there was no one else whom either of them could possibly marry. David Guzik, divorce cannot be seen as a ready option when things are difficult in married life. Marriage is like a mirror. It reflects what we put into it. If one or both parties has divorced readily in their mind as a convenient option, divorce will be much more likely. D.A. Carson. If marriage is grounded in creation in the way God made us, then it cannot be reduced to merely a covenantal relationship that breaks down when the covenantal promises are broken. So Jesus talks about what God did in creation with male and females. He who made them in the beginning made them male and female. He quotes Genesis 1.27. And Jesus indicated that God first made men and women different and that then he joins the two that are different together in a marriage. This is where Jesus asserts God's authority over marriage. It's God's institution. It's not man's. So he gets to set the rules. And he brings the issue back to the scriptural foundation of marriage. And Jesus makes it clear And plain, that couples must forsake their singleness. That's when he says a man will leave his mother and father, and he will come together in one flesh relationship. The law of God was not, Poole said this, that a man should forsake his wife whenever he had mind to it, but that he should rather forsake his father and mother than his wife, that he should cleave unto his wife, living and dwelling with her. So Jesus says, Have you not read? He knows that they want to trick him about the law. So he says, let's talk about what the Bible says. That a man shall be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Back to creation. Back to Adam's statement in Genesis 1.23. We see that men and women are different. But they're joined together as one and they complete one another as one flesh. Adam. Can you imagine Adam saying to Eve, look, you are different from me but you are made for me and you are made from me. We're not the same, but we are one. Men and women, think about this. Men and women had different sources of creation. Men and women had different methods of creation. Men and women had different times of creation. And men and women had different names at creation. And despite these creation-rooted differences between the natures of men and women, God calls a husband and wife together to become as one and one flesh. And this process of things not alike coming together is part of God's great work in marriage. It's the work of sanctifying, the work of providing a good parental team for the children that will be born out of that marriage. And the idea that they shall become one flesh includes a sexual union, but it also goes far beyond it. Barclay, marriage is given not that two people should be doing one thing together, but that they should do all things together. A.B. Bruce, the reference is primarily to the physical fleshly unity, but flesh in Hebrew thought represents the entire person, and the ideal unity of marriage covers the whole nature. It is a unity of soul as well as of body, sympathy, interest, and purpose. The two shall become one flesh. What does that also do? It also prohibits polygamy, being able to marry multiple people. Polygamy uh, was was allowed in the Old Testament, but it was never God's best, and it would have been easy to see that in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. So Jesus says what God has joined together reminds the Pharisees that marriage is spiritually binding before God. It's not merely just a social contract. It's as God has joined together. So he expects, he expects man to honour what he has joined together. The The word joined together is interesting. It's a, a word that is a little difficult to pronounce. Sune Zexwan, yoked together. Adam Clark, as oxen in the plough where each must pull equally in order to bring it on. Among the ancients, when persons were newly married, they put a yoke upon their necks or chains upon their arms to show that they were to be one, closely united and pulling equally together in all the concerns of life. What do we observe from this? When people want to talk about divorce, let's talk about marriage first. There's biblical reasons for divorce. We're going to talk about that. And that's in other passages here. Jesus says, when you want to start talking about divorce, you have to look at marriage first. What God has joined together, let no man separate. God takes marriage seriously. So that's one of the things. Now, is this a difficult passage for some? Yes, I'm sure it is. And I know that there's many people who have been through the pain of divorce and, and maybe it was something you didn't want to. Uh, was? You felt like it wasn't your choice. Or maybe it was your choice and you regret it now. What I know is that you have the truth of the word of God to now move on with. With what God wants you to do from today onwards. And have an understanding of what God believes marriage is and teaches us what marriage is. So that we understand the context of divorce can only come after we understand the context of what marriage is. Heavenly Father, thank you for just making it so clear to us that Even when Jesus was tested, he was able to talk about your original intentions in creation, of creating men and women different in a way that they can be joined together as one, one flesh, Lord, to achieve the eternal purposes of God. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for listening. For more content, please don't forget to check out my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards. Have a great day.